as it is referring again in the book of Ecclesiastes. Taking a step out of our Second Corinthians series. I uh, trust you'll be patient with my voice. It's a bit hoarse today, thanks to the allergies of spring. Uh, hopefully it'll last through the entire morning. So open and with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Well, actually, we'll start in chapter 1. I wanted to remind us of what he said about it before. He had looked at wisdom before, actually had using all of his great wisdom that God had given him, wisdom greater than anyone else ever had. He's examining everything under the sun to see if there's any place in this life, in this world, that is good for us, that is pleasant for us apart from God. And his conclusion that time was, of course, that with much wisdom comes much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The more he looks at the world, the more cursed he saw it to be. Today he's going to be looking at wisdom from a little different point of view, and that is, if I walk in wisdom, will that make my life better? It's one of the things he's examined. If we walk by wisdom rather than foolishness or madness, is our life more filled with joy? Is it a better life? Is it a, a better eternity, ultimately? And that will be where he is today, considering wisdom and its opposites, madness and folly. So I want to read, first of all, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, and then chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. As they both cover the wisdom here. So I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it is all vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all those who were before me in Jerusalem. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and to no folly. I perceive that this also is but striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Jumping down to chapter 2, verse 12. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, having examined self-indulgence in the previous section. He turns back to wisdom and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there was more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes on his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring re remembrance, seeing that the days to come all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, 
because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come back to the book of Ecclesiastes and to your servant Solomon, the wisest man who ever walked the earth other than your son, and we see what he learned from his great wisdom. Pray that you would help us to put this in a right perspective and to take it into our own hearts, that we might know and understand these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So he has turned his mind to examine wisdom and madness and folly. Now, what are these words, and what do they mean? We translate them into English, but you'll find different translations sometimes use different words here. The primary word here, wisdom, in the Old Testament has two basic meanings associated with it. The first one we find in the creation of the temple, the, the tabernacle, the robes and formal outfit for the priests. And if we look in Exodus 31, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability, this is our word wisdom, with ability and intelligence and knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, works in silver and gold and bronze, and cutting stones for settings and carving woods for every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Ohaliab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to given to all men, to all able men, ability, again the word wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is on us, the furnishings of the tent. So God is saying he gave them wisdom, exactly the same word Solomon uses here. Wisdom, and the idea being that it's how to think and understand and do things correctly. The artistic skill and the engineering skills and the, all of those skills that people need to do the job that they do. And that's what he's thinking about here, as well as just the wisdom of understanding. Uh, the second aspect of this word has to do with being able to do things in obedience to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, God says, or Moses says, See, I have taught you the statutes and the rules of the Lord my God, as he commanded me, that you shall do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom, our word here, wisdom. So keeping and doing the commandments is their wisdom. It will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, meaning the, non, the non-Jews, who when they hear this stat, all these statutes will say, surely this is a great nation and is wise and, and wise and understanding people. What a great nation is there that a God is so near as to the Lord our God is to you whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has its statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So their understanding and keeping the word of God 
is their wisdom before God and before the, the pagan nations. And is what will make them seem wise in the eyes of the world is that they know God and obey him. So that's really the second kind of wisdom, the wisdom to do what is right before God. Remember Solomon's vision that he had when he took over as king? God said, what, what should I give you? And his answer was, give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and to come in before the people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? Second Chronicles 1.10. What was he asking for? Not just the ability to do the job, but the ability to do it right before God. And so that is true wisdom in the sense that it is used in our passage. Now, in our context, look at verse 17. What we're talking about is what is done under the sun. And that is what is done is this world, in this world under heaven, mostly referring to what is done you know, apart from God. Not talking about our relationship with God and our interaction with God, but talking about our life and our worldly life. And wisdom in that context is what we are looking at. Remember what Jeremiah said, or the Lord said to Jeremiah, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, our word. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me, for I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. The sinful man walks in a form of wisdom. Yes, he can have knowledge, he can have understanding, he can have craftsmanship, he can have abilities to earn his life, he can have the wisdom to live at peace with all those around him, uh, to get what he wants out of life. But he doesn't have the wisdom to do what is right before God. Two parts of the wisdom that the Bible refers to. And why do they not lack that? Well, remember what Paul said, as it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe, First Corinthians 1, 19 and 20, through 21. Excellent. Why did the world not know God through wisdom? Because the godless wisdom is from a godless mind, and the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to him. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It is pleasing to God. He has declared, if you do what is right, Man cannot do what is right because he cannot please God. Sinful man, unredeemed man. So you might ask, what part of wisdom is Solomon focusing on here in this passage? I would point out that he speaks of himself in this passage. I saw that I had the same end as the fool, he says. So the wisdom he's talking about is not simply the worldly wisdom, but all the wisdom they have. What does it change in this life and in this world? So he is considering wisdom, really, I think, in both sentences. However, as we unfold the text, we'll see that he's primarily still focusing on what happens under the sun. So it's not really our, our relationship with God is not what's in focus in wisdom here, but our relationship in this world and what happens in this world. Well, what about madness and folly? 
Those two words are only used in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. And we give them a generic translation, which is used everywhere, but specifically they're only used here. Uh, the word translated madness is, also, is related to a more common word for boasting and being insane. Uh, David, when he pretended to be mad, uses this related word, not this specific word. The idea of this word being that of madness. The Hebrew word fo translated folly similarly is only in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it is the work of the fool. It's called folly. We can understand their meaning by looking back to the book of Proverbs where we see the other more common words used. And Solomon wrote that book as well, and in the wisdom God gave him to write a book of wisdom, he says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? Simple here means somebody who doesn't bother to consider consequences and wisdom and reason. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffers? and fools hate knowledge. If you turn to my reproof, I will pour out my spirit on you and make my words known to you, Proverbs 22, 1, 22, and 23. So fools hate real knowledge. They hate truth. They hate wisdom because of their foolishness. So that's half of it. But the other half of what in the book of Proverbs a fool is can be seen in Proverbs 10, 23. Doing wrong is like a joke to the fool. A fool in Proverbs is an evil person, an amoral person, one who does not follow the wisdom of God but follows their own desires and their own sinfulness and who locks and flaunts sin in, face of, in the face of God and his people. Let's consider a few of the verses in Proverbs to help us understand the, what his defining between the wisdom of the wise and the foolishness of the fool in everything, the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly, Proverbs thirteen sixteen. So the wise man, the prudent man, and the prudent man would be wise, acts with knowledge, whereas a fool enjoys being making random decisions and being foolish. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. Proverbs thirteen nineteen. Think about that. Turning away from evil, to give up their evil, to give up their sin, to give up their debauchery, to give up their foolishness, to give up their ignorance, and embrace truth and reality and holiness and justice and goodness and truth. To them, that transition is an abomination. And if you look at the world today, yep, we see it. We understand the fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion, Proverbs 18.2. Understanding, meaning not the understanding of the world and the godless, but the understanding of what God has said and what God wants and what God holds precious and true and righteous and holy. That they see no value in. They take no pleasure in it and knowing about it, but they want to give their opinion. Better a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and a fool. Proverbs 19.1 The fool is viewed with great contempt in Solomon's writing of wisdom and in the Psalms, but especially in the book of Proverbs. And he says, 
you know, he considered the fool and the wise and the difference between them. That's what he's looking at today. Uh, in verse 12, he also continues repeating his explanation that we read it in <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 4 through 11. There's really nothing new under the sun. What can a man do? I remember being indoctrinated into Marxism in high school and thinking, but haven't they tried this over and over again? And didn't they try this in France where it was developed as a religion? Didn't they try this in Russia? Didn't they try this in China? Didn't they try this in Cambodia? Haven't they tried this in Cuba? If it didn't work for any of them, why is doing the same thing over again going to make it work for us? There's nothing new under the sun. You're going to get the same results each time if you do the same thing. The same kind of people do the same kind of thing. It's not going to change. There's nothing new under the sun. So here Solomon is examining the value of wisdom as well as the value of madness and folly and all that is done under the sun, apart from God and apart from eternity. So which is better, to labor and walk in wisdom or to not labor so much and just enjoy being a fool. Like wisdom requires knowledge, it requires understanding, it requires a lot of toil to try and figure it out, a lot of toil to try and find the truth so that we can figure it out. It's a lot of work. Is that really better than just acting however you feel like without bothering to do all the work? Most people live in the second world where they rarely examine things carefully. And when they do, they often start with a presupposition, a conclusion, and look for justification of that. I remember when I studied probability and statistics in college, I learned that statistics are often used as a drunken man uses a lamppost for support rather than illumination. So the fool will go back and try and justify his belief by examining carefully and questioning to and fro and spending endless hours sometimes trying to find a few facts that he can twist to justify his conclusion. That is the work of the fool. But mostly the fool doesn't bother with any of that and just decides whatever they want to believe is true and right. And I think that's what's at mind here. He says in verse 13 and 14, I saw that there was more gain in wisdom than folly, more gain in light than darkness. The wise person has his eyes on his head, but the fool walks in darkness. This is another one of those areas Walking as a fool, walking in the dark versus walking as a wise person, walking in the light, that is addressed throughout the book of Proverbs. And the, we can get a more better contrast here even than we've already seen in the book. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Proverbs 3.35. Uh, chapter 10, the Proverbs of Solomon. The, a wise son makes his father glad, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. The wise lays up knowledge, but the mouth of fools brings ruin near. Proverbs ten fourteen. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be the servant of the wise of heart. Do you want to be a fool? Consider this. You bring disgrace and sorrow to your parents. You get disgrace for yourself. It brings Your foolishness brings ruin near. You'll end up a servant to someone who's wiser. The ways of a fool seem right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs twelve fifteen. 
want to be a wise man rather than a foolish man. The vexation of a fool is known as one and known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Proverbs 13.1, the wise son hears his father's instruction, but the scoffer will not listen to rebuke. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man hold, quietly holds it back. What's the significance of all of this? Well, you know, a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Proverbs 18, 6 and 7. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Proverbs 28, 26. Now, whether you walk as a madman or a fool, you can expect your life to be troubled by your own foolishness. And that's what Solomon here is concluding. It's more gained in wisdom than folly. If you live a foolish life and you live in foolishness, you will have a troublesome life. Indeed, that is the case. But what about the wise? Is the wise man loved and respected by all, including the fool? No, you rebuke a fool in his folly and he'll hate you. You show your wisdom and you get better for it, you know, better things for your wisdom. They, their foolishness brings a rod. Your wisdom brings wealth and riches and grace. They're going to hate you for it. All the more so if you're doing it in God and in holiness, your wisdom. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. And they do not know over what they will stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them in your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 4, 18 through 23. So it's better clearly to walk in wisdom and in light rather than foolishness and madness and darkness. <clears throat> so can we say, case closed, I found a good thing under the sun, walking in wisdom. Well, he finishes verse 14 saying, Yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. Think about that. If we think only of this life, only living for today, the, the question of walking in wisdom or foolishness takes on a very different meaning than if we consider this in the perspective of eternity. And Solomon is considering primarily just what's done under the sun. Can we find joy and pleasure and meaning in life apart from God? Is there meaning in life in walking in wisdom? The guru who makes millions of dollars and has his TV show or goes around the country doing speaking tours and has all the people admiring and worshiping his wisdom may think that he's got more than everybody else. But for the rest of the people who try to be wise and not foolish, there isn't a lot of difference. If we only think of this life, question is, what do we get? Does not the wise man also die? That's the question Solomon is bringing up. It's appointed for all men to die once. Solomon says, I see what's going to happen to them. It's going to happen to all the wise, the fool, together. And guess what? 
The wisest man in the world, it's going to happen to me, he says. I'm no different. So he looks at that and says, won't everybody just die? Death awaits us all, yes, but the end of that is not a life of meaninglessness and misery. It's eternal life is the end, not oblivion. Just as it is appointed to all men to die once and after that comes judgment, Hebrews 9.27. If we forget the judgment, then we are living only in today. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, 31-34. Skipping down to verse 41, Say to those that have left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That is the true reality in which we live. Solomon is examining life apart from that reality to some extent. He's can you find your pleasure, your meaning, your happiness, the pur- your purpose in life apart from God? But the reality is there really is a God. That's why Paul can say, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, Romans 8, 18. If we are living under the Son, are we, are we living, under, living under the Son of God? It makes a big difference in our life, in our purpose, in our joy. Can we find it apart from the Son of God and under the sun that shines above us? Solomon's conclusion throughout this whole book is no, absolutely not. There's nothing. It's all misery. And he goes on to say, since I am no better, I will also go the way of all flesh, so why have I struggled? If it's not for eternity, why why struggle to be wise? Why search everything? Why try to understand everything? Why do it? What's the value? If it's just for this life, it doesn't really make a difference. The wise and the fool both die. And after that, they both face the same judgment and the same consequence. The difference being the one who has put their hope and trust in God, of course. For all the wise, as of the fools, there is no enduring remembrance. I had spoken about this earlier. You're not going to be remembered. You're not going to make this great point in life. You're not going to make this wonderful contribution that will be remembered. The world is not going to be a new and better place because of your work and your wisdom. There might be a new, an evil that has not been known in the same manner before that will continue on in your aftermath. Uh, making new false religions tends to be like that. But for you... You come to the same end. So does he conclude about walking wisely? He saw, no matter how wise I am, no matter how careful I am, no matter how much understanding I have, no matter how I live my life, I'm still going to suffer the same fate as the fool. I'm going to die and face judgment. It says in verse 17, So I hated my life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for it is all vanity and striving after the wind. Now, you might be wondering, 
You know, is it really right to hate this life? Isn't suicide wrong? Yes. Didn't God himself give us this life? Yes. Didn't God himself place us in the circumstances we're in? Yes. This life is to be treasured. It is a gift of God, and we are where God has placed it. But that's not the right question. The question is how we treasure that life. The real question we need to ask ourselves in the negative sense is, do we want to make great progress in life? Do we want to leave a lasting change on the world? Do we want to leave our names in history? Or perhaps do we want to have a good and successful life here? We want to be happy, healthy, and wealthy and live our best life now. Since the work of the wise and the fool both ends in death, forgotten by the world, then from a godless world's perspective, of course, it's miserable and depressing and hopeless. But we're not hopeless. We're not depressed. That he found that wisdom was better than foolishness, but it was still no better than a striving after the wind, trying to catch the wind and say, this is mine, I'll keep it. It's just, what? It's not there. We make no real changes, no real progress. What has been will begin again, will be again. What has happened will happen again. Consider the book of Judges. Now, many people seem to think Ecclesiastes is the most depressing book in the Bible. Some consider it the work of a manic, depressed man. Uh, they deny its inspiration completely, or they deny the concept of inspiration completely. They consider it to be bad. But what do we think? Well, we know it was inspired by God. And as Peter says, no prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, Second Peter 1, 21. So all the things written by Solomon in that book were written through the Holy Spirit carrying him along. The book carries the exact message, the exact words that God wanted written for us to know, to understand, and to live by. Let me say again, God wanted this book written, and it carries the exact message, the exact words that he wants us to know and understand. We should be giving it a lot more respect than those who think it's the work of a manic, depressed person. Why do I consider the book of Judges to be actually the most depressing book in the Bible? Well, what happens? God gives them a great leader. They follow the leader, and they worship God, and they glorify God, and they live according to his statutes. And then the leader dies, and the people turn once again back to the ways they had before until they finally are broken and punished by God, and they cry out, and God sends them another leader who delivers them. When that leader dies once again, they start to fall away from God. They turn away from him. They fall into sin. God turns away from them and punishes them. Yeah, rinse and repeat over and over again through the book. What is it saying? They can't learn from their mistakes. They can't do better. What has been will be. You give them the same opportunities, a little different each time. And they get the same results. Left to their own devices, they turn away from God. I find it very depressing. Uh, Some people love the book of Judges because of God gives them a great hero and they're redeemed. Yes, but they abandon it right away. Maybe it's a difference of glass half full, glass half empty. But 
I think those who despise and hate the book of Ecclesiastes do so wrongly. And I think one of the reasons they do that is because it boldly and forcefully proclaims the vanity of this life apart from God. People think, oh, if you just do good, good things will happen to you. Well, Solomon looked at all the things that happened under the sun, and he says the same thing happens to the good, the wise, and the fool. The same thing happens to me. There's no difference. It doesn't perfectly exempt you from problems if you perfectly obey God, because no one can perfectly obey God. But I mean, if you're a good person and you walk in the wisdom of God, then you won't get cancer. Then your house won't get caught in the forest fire. Then you won't be hurt by the economic recession. No, the same thing happens to us all. That's his point. Over and over again, it doesn't really change. And when they're confronted with that belief, with that understanding, they get depressed because their hope is in this life, in this world. They aren't living for eternity. They aren't thinking what Paul, what we just read, Paul said, that this brief and momentary suffering is nothing compared to the glory we will have. And they find the book depressing. Whereas the wise looks at the book and goes, wow, I thought pleasure would work for me. If I just had some more money, I'd be happier. If I just had a better place in my life, if I just had better understanding of what's going on, that I could work and do it right, you know, that I could have peace with the people around me. No. What we find in this book is that's vanity, chasing after the wind. Even trying to walk the wisest life you can is not going to make this world a better place. And what God has promised us to reward us for it, those rewards don't always come in this life. They get depressed because that's pointed out to them, in fact, and in hard, cold facts here in the book of Ecclesiastes. But for the wise, it's, I don't need to waste my time on foolishness anymore. I don't need to think I'll be happy if I just have a better understanding and am able to fix it. No, this, the corruption of mankind cannot be made straight apart from by the Spirit of God. And he isn't going to make the world straight until he destroys it and recreates it. But back to this, this, the matter at hand, uh, we walk by faith, not by sight. We read last week, but do we really? Those who hate the book of Ecclesiastes despise its message. I think it's because they walk by sight, not by faith. Everything is exposed by the wisdom of Solomon, the wisdom of God in this book. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, as John says in 1 John 2.26, they're exposed to be nothing but vanity, chasing after the wind. The biblical call for living for eternity is made clear throughout the Bible. But remember what Jesus himself said, Whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him, John twelve twenty-five through 26 Is it right to hate our life, which is a gift of God? Well, Jesus says, if you hate your life in this world, you'll keep it for eternal life. That's the meaning here. The meaning is not, woe is me, I want to die. The meaning is, this life holds no value to me because I want to be with God and with eternity, and eternity is what values. Do we hate 
our life in this world. We hate the corruption of this dark and evil world. Do we hate the corruption of our own hearts? Do we not want to be clothed with immortality, as we were speaking of last week? Should we not think, as Paul did, that we should be of good courage, knowing that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord? For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body, meaning we hate this life, and home with the Lord. So whatever we are at home, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him through wisdom. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive what is due him for what he has done in the body, whether it's good or evil. God's providence, didn't we do that passage last week? <laughs> uh, should we not agree with the Holy Spirit who wrote through Solomon, I hated this life, because what is done unto the Son was grievous to me, it is vanity, the striving after the wind. Uh, we will see as we read through the book of Ecclesiastes and, and study through it, that there are many injustices and sorrows in this cursed world that make it not the thing we should focus on. This world and all that it offers, striving after the wind. We should live for eternity. The believer should live for eternity. Remember what Peter said of the end times? We've spoken of this often. Since all these things, the world, the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars— All these things will be dissolved by fire. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heaven the new earth, in which righteousness dwells. 2 Peter 3, 11, 13. So in today's passage, what we see is endeavoring to walk by wisdom, even biblical wisdom, in order that we can live our best life now or make a lasting impact on the world. That effort is wasted, it is vain, it is empty, it is a chasing after the wind. Remember his conclusion to the book. The end of the matter, all has been here, heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Our walking in wisdom needs to be walking in a way to prepare ourselves for eternity. For God indeed will bring every deed into judgment. If you're walking for today's benefit, then you're walking, grasping for the wind. And like Solomon, you need to come to the point where you hate that. You hate the sin, you hate the corruption, you, you hate not being what you will one day be. And your focus will then be living for what you will be, not what you were. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that you gave Solomon that he can examine every source of this world that we might find meaning in our life apart from you. He's examined every place we look for meaning apart from you and found it to be empty, meaningless, striving after the wind. 
Help us, Lord, to see that, to take it to heart. Not that we would give up on the world and withdraw from it, but that we would make it our aim and our goal to please you in all that we do, even if that doesn't give us pleasure in this life directly, because we know it will give us joy in the coming eternity. Pray for your strength in this matter in Jesus' name. Amen.